Hello, everyone. Jonathan Lee here, founder and creator of Bridging Legacies Across Campuses. We're here for another installment of our podcast. Taj Davis, hello. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing well, Jonathan. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well, man. Even as a 40-year-old soon-to-be, man, it's hard to break bread with the Tigers, but you kind of bought into that. Taj, who are you? What do you do? Kind of let us know what's your passions, man. Yeah, so my name is Taj Davis. I am currently a fourth-year educator in my fourth year at Woodbury Forest School. So respectable rivals with (laughs) Episcopal High School up in Alexandria. I teach history here. I coordinate and direct our DEI efforts, and I also coach football. I am, prior to that, a graduate of Kenyon College, where I also played football and majored in American Studies. So that kind of leads into my history role. And then prior to that, I was a graduate of the Potomac School in McLean, Virginia. And I did spend a couple years at Macaulay School, so another all-boys institution, boarding institution in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that's kind of the more immediate history, I guess, in terms of education, I've been all over the place. I've been to public school. I've been homeschooled. I was, for the earlier parts of my life, a student at the local mosque. So I've seen a lot of different educational environments, and it's kind of no surprise that I'm still in an educational environment. But other than that, I'm pretty passionate about hip-hop. I make my own music. I love watching good movies. I'm a big Spike Lee fan. Love being outside. So being at Woodbury is a good spot. It certainly is, man. You get lots of outdoors time out there. It's always great as a former runner of cross-country and track. I love the track and I love the cross-country course. So getting out there in your golf course or your alternate course. So it's a beautiful place and loved it when they had the state championship out there um, Mm. back in the day for cross-country. And had some very successful runs out there. But again, man, it's just great to hear of your your tour of the Bible Belt, man, kind of hitting those areas and those institutions that have those principles and North Stars of educating young people through the Episcopalian perspective or the religious perspective and getting the Northern Virginia scopes. You you have been all the way around. I appreciate that. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to call and connect with you, man. I always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah. And I guess I forgot to even mention where I'm from in all of that. Uh, I was born in Washington, D.C., but grew up in Richmond, Virginia, before then moving to Northern Virginia. So I feel like a Virginia native, and most of my family is either in Virginia or Maryland. I'm Muslim, born Muslim, parents who converted, as you can guess from my education at mosque school, and then also of Caribbean ancestry by way of my mother from Jamaica. Awesome. Oh my goodness. You're just hitting all the, you're pressing all the buttons, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. So getting down to the meat and potatoes, the conversation, as you navigate your educational track and who you were, and I know you've always known you're a black man, but in your educational track, when did you learn you're a black teenager? What was that moment that stood out for you the most? So there are two moments that when you asked that question, they immediately came to my mind. Both of them happened my freshman year at Macaulay. And so one of those instances was involving a, I guess, a neighbor on my dorm, a hallmate. Um, So at Macaulay, I was an honor scholar there, and there were about 15 honor scholars in each grade. And so I was on scholarship, merit scholarship to go there. And I felt envy, right? I just frankly felt envy from some of my white peers who might not have been honor scholars and were always trying to compete in the academic sense. And I wondered why that was, why they were competing with me specifically and not other honor scholars. And that's where 
I realized some of my blackness. And another instance was just some of the ways in which folks down there, kids down there would talk about relationships and hearing white peers say things about people who are in interracial relationships. Yeah. A white girl saying, rejecting promposals, saying, I can't go to prom with a black boy, things of that nature. So that's when it really became apparent. And that's got to be so abrasive coming from DC and coming (laughs) from a background and you're in Tennessee. You're like, where did I enter? Am I in the sixties in Alabama? But you're like, no, it's just the mid nineties. Again, nothing you're saying is a surprise. And I can say that Many of myself and my contemporaries have similar stories. So that's unfortunate, man. Yeah. No, it what, was was definitely... what was situation number two? That was situation number two. So situation one was just kind of that tension between some of my classmates. Oh, God. With just on the achievement level, I was a high achieving kid. I was being an honor scholar. And then even as a sophomore, I was on sophomore leadership. So just feeling some envy in a way. I kind of am of the belief that when someone does something that either causes you to feel envious or you feel excited for the person. So it was sometimes more of the former. And then the second is just the relationship piece across black and white. So as you talk about that, you talk about this envy. One thing I hear about from my perspective is the imposter syndrome. Did you have that imposter syndrome at that age or did you know you were the man academically and you were doing what you should be doing and holding your- That's a great question. I don't think, I, I think I definitely did have some of the imposter syndrome for many reasons. And as you said, not just because of my blackness, but also just being in the South, right? That, that felt different. And it's a completely different culture. But I would say I, I knew I could great things, but that was just more so out of fear of my mother, to be honest. And so like, for example, when I got selected to be on sophomore leadership, I'll be honest, I was very surprised. I didn't expect to be voted onto that committee or council. And even in, in, in college, as a young educator, I think that's something that is always present, at least for me, in some capacity. Sometimes I really am fighting with it. Sometimes it's really a non-factor, but yes, to answer your question. Awesome. Well, man, it's just, again, these, these podcasts are kind of therapeutic for me and hearing some of the things that I thought that I was going crazy about that it's good to hear other people talk about their driven mother. They told them, you better get this done. You're on financial aid or merit. and You're not there to mess around and your opportunity should not be squandered. So you better be the top of everything you can be at and behave yourself. And I'm sure you got that phone call. Don't let me be called up to school for bad behavior. Cause that's something you knew you, your mom and dad better not miss work. They had to come to school to take care of a behavioral issue. So I did my best to make that moment never happen. Listen, I remember getting my first grade, my first report card back from Macaulay, and I had a B on there. And they dropped the grades like right before parents' weekend. So oh, that's a setup. That's a setup. That's the first setup. <laughs> so my mom, my Jamaican mother, she's in the room and she's giving it to me about this B. And my roommate, he's he's a wealthy kid from Alabama, white kid. He's like, "Oh, your mom's crazy." I'm like, nah, she's just Caribbean black. <laughs> that is the norm. That's how it goes. So I best believe I got that up to an A. Oh, you're definitely right. And again, there's a moment where public, private school, where you're at before, there's a moment where when you get to these schools like Episcopal, Woodbury, Macaulay, and other schools, Potomac, that academic integrity is a little bit higher than what we're used to. 
Right. And, and the 14 person to 18 person classroom environment compared to the 25 to 30 person environment, the teachers can expect more out of you. So that girl's grades go lower. And so I try mm. to tell some families, your child, so they get their first B, that this isn't the cookie cutter approach that these independent schools give. Um, so that was something I tried to sell my mom on, but she wasn't hearing it, man. She wasn't. God, <laughs> God bless her soul. Oh, as you navigate your day, and I know you're probably a dorm parent and do dorm duty at Woodbury and whatnot. As you think about putting kids to bed, be it from all walks of life at Woodbury, and you've done that, you've been, you've seen it and you've gone full circle. Knowing what you know as an educator and a wise person, what would you tell your younger self going into ninth grade or the next generation of Tigers or Potomac kids that are coming in or Macaulay kids? What would you say as a words of wisdom, man? I'm thinking about it kind of in relation to your previous question about imposter syndrome. And my advice would just to walk with the utmost confidence and to speak with the utmost confidence because I think unfortunately sometimes for people of color we're kind of timid when it comes to advocating for ourselves for fear of having that phone call home or um, being seen as other or different in the workspace but or or simply being the boy who cried wolf that you're always mentioning your blackness is feeling squander and everyone's looking at you and you're like but i is yeah but go ahead go ahead yes yeah exactly and so something i've (laughs) i've seen again and again throughout my time in these independent schools and predominantly white institutions is that there are there's a lot of mediocrity that expects excellent outcomes and specifically i see a lot of average white males demanding things that are not average right and oftentimes they end up getting those things right and so something i've learned is that there's would almost you, would you that, not call that white privilege it's that's exactly what you call it right okay okay just want to be clear for the listeners and when you speak to a white person in a predominantly white institution with that same kind of tone you're then speaking their language um so expect more than what you have. That would be my advice to myself or any young person coming into a space like this and that with the resilience that we have as Black people, with just some of the like experiential learning that we go through in navigating this world, like we truly do have the tools to find the highest success. Oh, definitely. And one of the things you I learned, which was wrong, and I kind of saw the right in the walls when I was in high school, it was common practice as a financial aid kid to write whoever were your donors for your financial aid, write them letters of update and to thank Mm -hmm. them each year. So you were sought out by the different person in the school to do that. And later you realize I had this imposter syndrome that I was on their benefit of their financial autonomy given to me Mm -hmm. by the graces of the hard work that I'd done through my middle school experiences. And so now as I look at as an adult, I teach kids that are on financial aid or merit scholarships. Don't feel grateful for the money that you're receiving. You earn that. That we're yes. thankful for you to say yes to my school and accept that offer because there's nothing that you've done that I should be paying for that you need to feel grateful to say, hey, Mr. I've done this, that, and the other, and thank you, and I continue to appreciate the dollars you put in. That's not the approach to give this demographic of anyone, diverse or not, but that socioeconomic barrier is something that also needs to be considered very importantly because that's a microaggression in a way of mm-hmm. having these people feel entitled to the money they're given as if it's a servitude of sort, which is not appropriate. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, man. And again, you don't learn that until later you're an adult being like, why did that letter have to be coming from me every time? <laughs> One question that I think about is there's a moment that people talk about standing in the gap. That there's a moment that the reason why I ended up at Episcopal High School was because of Bryson Spinner I and mean, his family. They were church members and younger brothers my age. And Bryson was a star athlete, you know, going to UVA to do several things. And he's kind of the doppelganger for Ronald Curry, so on and so forth. But because of that family communicating to me in church, you should apply to this boarding school. They stood a gap to let me know about something that I didn't even know about in my own community in Alexandria. How did you get to Macaulay? How did you get to Potomac? Who stood in the gap to introduce you to that moment? Because these aren't things that are advertised in our neighborhoods. That's a great question. I was actually speaking with one of my colleagues about that earlier. And it was because of that conversation of being in Northern Virginia. There's not really a connection from Northern Virginia to Woodbury. I guess (laughs) to Woodbury and or Macaulay, Southern boarding schools. And so I actually have a family friend a little bit older than me from Jamaica. And so he it's more of a normal practice for kind of middle class or upper middle class families in Jamaica to send their kids to boarding school in the States or in Europe. And so he got into Woodbury. And so when he would go back to school or go to school in August, he would fly up to DCA, we'd pick him up and drop him off at Woodbury. So I actually learned about independent schools by way of Woodbury where I'm at now, speaking of full circle. And so I remember being an 11 year old kid driving down to this 1200 acre campus and thinking i didn't know there were schools like this um driving down that long driveway with those trees and the big tiger paw prints leading you up to houses yeah that's right that is a daunting moment when you're an alexandria city kid when you make that first trip from ehs to woodbury you're like where am i (laughs) and i'm seeing the river and like i said i'm an outdoors kid i was always a kid jumping in creeks and things like that so i'm like oh wow i could really like it here um and i didn't end up going here so so that family the adams family they they stood in the gap for me and funny enough i ended up going to macaulay and i also have to give a lot of of Props to Troy Kemp, who was a black man in admissions at Macaulay. And he instantly just, he made me feel and my mother feel like, yeah, I'll go to Chattanooga. If he's there and he's coaching football and he's coaching lacrosse, yep. Tell me what I need to do. So just having that kind of mirror on the other end of things definitely helped me out as well. I had the complete opposite, man. I had this gentleman named Bill Ellis, who was a country white man in a seersucker suit. And every bit of the Southern Carolina graduate. And that man charmed my mother where she was ready to drop me off down the street from my house where my mom's, I don't care what the school looks like. That Bill Ellis guy was great with customer service. He called my home to make sure we made it home safely after a mile drive. And that man helped me like Carolina basketball at the time with other family members, but he was the complete opposite, man. And, you, and it taught me that moment you can't always judge a book by its cover mm. from the presentation. He said, hey, ma'am, how y'all doing? I want to welcome y'all to Pittsburgh High School. Come on in now. And <laughs> literally, I'm like, where did they find this dude? But his customer service, his personality, it resonated to the day. And tell you full circle, when I went to one of my first admissions trips after getting my job at Episcopal, I went up there to a school somewhere up in New Jersey. And here's this man saying, hey, Johnny boy. And I look over and there is Bill Ellis working for the Kiskey School. And I'm oh. like... Dude, I'm an admissions officer now at Episcopal High School. And to see the smile on his face, to know that I am now doing the job that he did, it was this weird moment, man, that I'm like, 
my door was open to the missions office and from what he did for me through his thing. And my customer service background that I have is literally technically because of him and mm. the way he treated my parents based upon how he looked as a person. And I will say that he is an amazing person that I can still text messages and see on Facebook. And uh, again, there's these moments, these adults come in our lives and these institutions that change us for the better, man. It's amazing. Right. right. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure that's why on. we do it every day. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And I'll just also say like something that the most transformative thing for me, and you mentioned some of this also just coming from, I was coming from public school in Northern Virginia, good school, but definitely not the cal- not even close to the caliber of school, Macaulay, Woodbury, Potomac. And I was in that group of kids I identify as an athlete first and foremost. This is who I am. I shied away from my intellect. And just to see, back to that point I made of seeing a mirror, to see an adult Black man like really leaning into his intellect, that that unlocked a lot for me. I just uh, put that yo, out there. Dude, that is, again, there is this weight that we carry, right? And I'm sure that your gentleman, Troy, felt the same weight. Of I live my life every day in a matter that should a white person, whomever, never have a moment with an interaction with a black person on the first time. I want them to know that I'm educated, articulate, well-spoken, a Christian, and I am there for them to treat them like an equal that I am to their equal. I live Mm -hmm. my life by that. And again, that's why I'm in the school that I'm in. And that's why I'm in education and certainly an admissions officer, because I believe we're placing this moment as black educators to remind that to our student athletes, they're students first and then athletes, and then to tell these boys and these black boys, you cannot throw a football as long as you can read a book. And your time Mm -hmm. is infinite. Your time is infinite. And there's nothing that we did not learn from Monday Night Football with the young man from the Bills that you've you've got to get yourself aligned to be able to be intelligent and capable because it is a gift to play these sports for colleges, universities, professional, but your education is the utmost important piece that is supposed to equalize this process of diversity, equity, inclusion. Yes. And that's why, and that's, again, I just say thank you, man, for always stepping into this space with me, being able to connect. I love the fact that I can text you, call you, email you, and you pick up the phone. And I love the fact that if there's anything I can do for anyone at Woodbury or anyone in your circle, that you would gladly return the favor for anyone of mine. I just say, till we have a conversation again, if you ever are in Seattle, you know who to call, man. Yes, I do. And likewise, if you're back this way, I appreciate it. And I'm planning on making some moves that way shortly to visit some folks. If I dare need a moment to say, hey, are you in Northern Virginia? Because that orange trip is an extra three hours. I don't know if I can make that. <laughs> yes, I... But blessings to you until next time. And I say thank you so much. Yes, man. Peace and love, Jonathan. Jonathan.